Welcome in, listeners. It's time for the return of the Slump Buster Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports. And my guest today is going to be Chris Benavides of the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast. On today's episode, we talk Carson Wentz injury, rank the top 36 quarterbacks according to average draft position, and give you a breakdown of the AFC North. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products cavemancoffeeco.com promo code slump guys don't be a chump use promo code slump and get yourself a case today all righty listeners it's time for the show commission fantasy football slump buster fantasy football episode 33 let's get it let's bust a slump and let's enjoy Welcome in Slump Busters. It is time for the long-awaited return of fantasy football, Slump Buster fantasy football to be exact. And to do it, a long-time follower. Uh, we've been following each other's pages for a while. We've been battling it out in fantasy. But the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast will be joining us. So, Chris, I don't have, actually have your last name. Chris, yeah. to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so last name is Chris Benavides. It's a Portuguese uh, last name. So Portuguese in ethnicity. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, I'm, I'm one of the co-hosts on the Commission Fantasy Football Podcast. I co-host with my brother Alex and my cousin Eric. Um, and then we also have a, a, a dynasty side that is hosted by Brian, Josh, and RJ. Um, and yeah, you can find us over on our website, www.thecommissbrand.com. All of our uh, handles on social media at the Commission FFP. So yeah, man, it's, you know, it's redraft season here. Here. Uh, we had a whole bunch of content for Dynasty, um, and we're just super excited to, you know, to get some drafts underway as we move into the actual season. Tell me, man, like uh, your journey. So you mentioned you've been doing this for going on year three now. What made you decide to pick up the mic and just roll with it? Yeah, that's a great question. So from a personal perspective, I found podcasting to be a very good way to digest what I would consider very nuanced information. And I know that the fantasy football community loves their stats, but I've also found that the fantasy football community loves to illustrate their stats, how they want to illustrate their stats and to prove just their points. Um, And so what you end up is with a lot of sort of debate and a lot of nuance. And I always felt that podcasting was the best way to sort of peel back the nuance and really kind of get under the surface. And so that's kind of where I think that's really what sparked our interest in wanting to do a podcast. It also obviously comes from my love of fantasy football and, you know, debate and wanting to talk through, you know, complex, uh, you know, again, football um, based material. Um, and then on top of that, I think the other part, the, sort of the other uh, the other element that sort of fueled our you know interest in doing this is that we have a very unique home league. And that unique home league, I think, is what we felt kind of made our podcast interesting, right? So it's not just the fact that we enjoyed playing fantasy football. It's that we we felt we had a, an interesting enough angle to make it entertaining that people might gravitate towards what we do and what we have to say. So I think all of those things collectively, uh, you know, kind of sparked the uh, the genesis of us starting the Commission podcast. And then, you know, three years later, we're just, you know, we're still riding that wave a little bit here and, and uh, you know, trying to grow it. 
Well, I love what you guys are doing from a branding perspective. I love the commission logo. It does get confusing as hell whenever we're talking it out on like the sleeper chat because it's like, oh, you know, just talk to the commission. Are you talking to the commission podcast? Are you talking to the actual commission? Who is yeah. the commission? We don't even know who the commission is in that league. If we're just kind of like playing it by ear. <laughs> yeah, that's keep true. Dropping yeah. in our DMs. Are you guys the commission? Uh, not really. Kind of. I mean, we'll take your money, but uh, you know. yeah, it's it's definitely a fully it's a definitely a fully loaded brand name. That's for sure. Depending on what league you're in. I, I think one of the worst team names I've ever had to deal with in my entire fantasy playing career is a guy decided to name his team, my team. So yeah. anytime you say my team, it would just cause confusion throughout the entire league. And honestly, yeah. just a frustrating experience. We kicked that guy out. Just, just throwing it out there, you know, just no time for nonsense. That's maybe, my commission. Maybe, maybe, maybe the commit, maybe the commission's next. Maybe, maybe, you know, if, if we win enough, maybe we'll be out of that league soon. Ooh. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is that, <laughs> Is that what it is? You think we'll boot you for the success? Nah, come on. I don't know. I don't know. It's part I mean, of the challenge, you know, there's the hunt versus the hunted. It's always fun to be on the hunt. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Actually, I think yeah. you guys managed to beat us in this last one, if I'm not mistaken, right? In the playoffs? I think we did. Yeah, we, uh, I think the league that we're in is, the, it's the podcast league. So uh, yeah, I think we ended up winning it. <sighs> Frustrating. We managed to get some great performances from some rookie stars last year. Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow for a couple of weeks, Justin Herbert, surprising carry us. Brandon Ayuk was hot, but then we just got hidden by that tractor that was your team eventually. So happens yeah. the best of us, but just know we're coming for you this year. Yeah, bring time it, man. Time to hashtag bust the slump, am I right? Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, guys, you read the title, so you know this is going to be our quarterback preview episode. And we actually did get some big-time breaking quarterback news today. Speaking of breaking, uh, Carson Wentz tends to break a lot, and he does have currently a foot issue that uh, apparently is going to keep him out five to 12 weeks, according to the report. Were you interested in the prospect Carson Wentz in Indianapolis heading into the season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, anytime you see a quarterback that struggled as much as Carson Wentz did last season, uh, to see him get a fresh start, and I think you sort of you sort of have this hope that he can kind of return to form back in his you know sort of heyday with the Eagles, uh, and he's I, th I believe he's joined you know with his uh, old offensive coordinator at that point, and he's now loaded up with weapons with the like one of the stronger offensive lines in the NFL, which is really what he was lacking last season. That combination, all of a sudden, you have the thoughts that oh man, Carson Wentz who's now being from a fantasy perspective is being drafted like QB 18, 19 could be a real value as an overall QB one next season with the amount of weapons that he has. So when you see an injury like this, yeah, it's certainly disheartening in a sense, because now one, you drafted early, obviously that kind of sucks. Um, but then two, it's like, what happens with all the weapons now? It's like, what happens to the run game? Is the run game still efficient? What happens to the wide receiver game? Do they have, you know, as much upside as, you know, we would have hoped to have seen with Carson Wentz, uh, you know, in clean pockets, for example. Um, we know he's a good quarterback. It's just a matter of, you know, could he get enough time to throw the ball? And it obviously looked like that wasn't the case last season. And we were obviously hoping for that to be the case this season. So now it's up to Jacob Eason. And, and you know, he he's kind of known for having a good arm, but quite literally didn't play a snap last year. So we'll see. Hey, you're not giving enough credit to my boy, uh, Sam Allinger. Hook him. I'm just saying, you know, fair enough. Yeah. There, uh, the undrafted. <laughs> but either way, it, it doesn't look very uh, tantalizing of an offense to want to get involved with. What do you think this does for the weapons around him? Uh, obviously, T.Y. Hilton, you have to assume, takes a step back. People are looking at Paris Campbell and giving him some love. And of course, Michael Pittman, last year's second round pick. Uh, you have to assume that everyone in this passing offense is going to be a downgrade for you. Am I not correct? 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, again, I think everyone had had some upside again. And a lot of this kind of comes down to like ADP value from a fantasy perspective, like Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, like, you know, you were expecting them to not get drafted very high T.Y. Hilton, for example. So in a sense, the players who uh, are coming off of, let's say, bad seasons with their teams from an offensive perspective are quite literally at the most discounted rate that they could be. And that's where these guys were, especially in these later rounds. So what that means is that if you get a good quarterback in place, like a Carson Wentz, you might have some upside and all of a sudden, you know, they become not league winners, let's say, but they could actually do some damage for you when you need some flex starts week to week. Now Carson Wentz is no longer there. So it's really difficult to say. I mean, there's a lot of question marks and I am not necessarily someone who wants to uh, invest in the ambiguity. Some people do. Some people see that as like a, like the chaos is ladder sort of mentality and that's fine. Go for it. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about them this year. Chaos is ladder. Uh, that reminds me of when Game of Thrones was actually enjoyable to watch. That's um, right. But, <laughs> but uh, as far as, yeah, I mean, overall, just obviously this offense, you just got to slide it. I know you guys definitely talk a lot of dynasty on your show as well. A uh, dynasty perspective on Carson Wentz. Is this a guy that you're trying to just sell the farm on right now? Or what are you trying to do with him? Because uh, you have to think that the Colts would want to see him play a full season at some point. But now there's that question. You have acquired this guy who's always hurt and he's hurt again. Yeah. Uh, it's very tricky to say it's all right. Let's, let's take a look at some of the facts that we know. It's like Carson Wentz is still a young quarterback, right? So Carson Wentz is only 28 years old. He's not old by any stretch of the imagination from a quarterback perspective. We've seen quarterbacks that have had injuries in the past, e.g. Matthew Stafford, who still ends up producing year in and year out when he actually does get the chance to play. So one gentleman that we follow who's actually been on the commission pod a few times is Dr. Edwin Porras. He's uh, over on Twitter. He's very good at giving sort of these types of updates. Um, and so this is what they know about the Carson Wentz injury. So this is an update as of five hours ago. The reports uh, for the injury is what's called a chronic fifth met avulsion fracture. Okay. So what that means is that, and they don't have a huge sample size of how many players have been affected with this, but in a small study, athletes return to activity four to six weeks from the point of their surgery, which is what Carson Wentz is going to have. Then they return to full practice six to eight weeks. Then they return to games 12 weeks in after that. And then the, the caveat to all this is that there's minimal reason that this should linger. So while it's an unfortunate scenario from a redraft perspective, on a dynasty perspective, I actually don't think this is going to, or it shouldn't hurt Carson Wentz's value long-term. If you have Carson Wentz, I mean, if you want to sell him, go ahead. But I think you should stash him and then wait until this thing heals up and then he should be back in the lineup, no problem. You just have to assume that this entire season is gone. Even when he does come back, a 12-week injury, uh, the prospect of picking up Carson Wentz for a playoff run is not one that I foresee myself pursuing. Okay, yeah. well, you know, that brings to the main subject of today's show. So quarterback rankings. And Kamish, Chris, you are my first guinea pig on this one. We're trying a new format to display our rankings. So we're, we're basing it more on a tier system. We feel like this might be a good way of presenting it to the audience. So the five tiers that we've set and to kind of go through them. So set it and forget it, guys. Now, these guys... They're just never coming out of your lineup. You're drafting them high, so they're going to stay high. They're going to stay in your lineup consistently week in and week out. Doesn't matter where they're going, who they're facing, play your studs. Quality starter is going to be the next year down. Now, quality starter, obviously, these guys are starters for you. They're going to be mostly in your lineup, but there is the rare occasion where you may be tempted to pull them. 
Uh, you may need to call on the reliever on these occasions. Maybe they're playing a tough D. Maybe they're playing in a bad weather game. Or maybe you even have two guys in this tier that are considered starters. Those are where you might consider mixing and matching on these ones. Matchup base, of course, depends on who they're playing. You know, talent versus opportunity. Sometimes some guys take advantage of a great opportunity, and that includes weak matchups. So definitely consider these guys in the matchup tier. Sleepers and fantasy journeymen are the following two tiers down. Now, explanation for this tiers, these may change as we get into the season. Sleepers, of course, these are guys that are undervalued, have an opportunity to advance into the higher tiers. But as of right now, they are pretty low in ADP. So you may be able to get them a great value. Fantasy journeymen, these guys are going to be bouncing around bench to bench all over your league. Uh, the only reason I didn't mark this tier is do not draft is because, hey, some leagues are deep. Some leagues are 14 to 16 teams, two quarterbacks. So there may be an opportunity for you guys to have to have these guys on your roster at some point during the season. So we're going to go through the top 36 quarterbacks, average draft position, according to fantasy pros right now at this time. So starting first, my first tier here, set it and forget it, guys. I only have two guys in this tier, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Am I missing anyone? Yeah, I think you're missing a couple. Just a few, just a okay. few. Let's talk it out because, you know, I was debating yeah. on it. Fair enough. Well, let me ask you a question. Who was, who was on the cusp of making this for you? Well, it started with that uh, guy from Buffalo that may yeah. be coming to Austin, Texas, uh, to be viewable in a home game capacity sometime soon. But Josh Allen. Now, obviously, Josh Allen had a borderline MVP season, and maybe you can argue if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers, he may have been an MVP. But I do have a slight concern of moving him into just the blindly starting him, regardless of matchup. I, I do think that there is occasion where Josh Allen may not just be an automatic there. And I just did want to leave that possibility, that door open. And that's why I put him in the next tier down, just because he still is a young guy. Guys can have had amazing breakout years like he's had and then come back down to earth a little bit. So there could be a little bit of fantasy regression there. Yeah, that's a fair point. I have no problem with that. Um, I mean, we kind of saw that with, you know, air quotes, Lamar Jackson last season after his MVP year, which I know that you have here as a quality starter as, as opposed to a setter and forget it. Um, so yeah, I mean, th that makes total sense. I think the two guys that I would most definitely put as a quality starter are obviously Josh Allen that you just talked about. I am not necessarily concerned about his overall upside moving forward, even if he takes a regression. I don't see him taking such a regression that he's not going to be um, at least a top five quarterback in the NFL for the foreseeable future for a couple mm -hmm. of reasons. One, because um, obviously his accuracy, which was his biggest glaring problem from 2019 to 2020, that's what most people were confused about. It, you know, will he sort of resolve this? Will it, will it improve over time? Uh, and it did. It just quite literally, you know, improved over, overnight. They get Stefan Diggs and they are quite literally going to waterboard this man with targets as they did last season. They're going to choke him to death with targets. And so I don't see this changing by, uh, you know, fr from 2020 to 2021. D Josh Allen's accuracy greatly improved. That's that's number one. Two, his rushing upside to me just gives him that floor that you can't find in anyone else like someone like Josh Allen, other than maybe Lamar Jackson. But the other guy actually is a good segue is Kyla Murray. So I actually was just listening to the BDGE uh, podcast with Nick Arcolano. And what's funny about Kyla Murray is that he actually was statistically having a better season then Josh Allen until the last game of the year when he was taken out. So funny enough is that Kyla Murray was on pace to shatter every single quarterback fantasy record 
including Patrick Mahomes' and Lamar Jackson's 2019 and 2018 season, which is like very low-key under the radar. So for me, those two guys with their rushing ability, their rushing attack, to me, I think they just have the floor to say you don't have to worry about them on a weekly basis. I can't think of another quarterback I'd probably want to start in these scenarios, regardless of matchup. Well, I have seen some moments and okay, going to Kyler Murray too, talking about that one. I have seen some matchups in which I've just seen Kyler Murray fade or not perform. And this could be due to the shoulder injury he experienced last year. But I did recognize, uh, obviously as a Niners fan, you see it in the background here, uh, particularly in a must-win game with C.J. Beathard on the other side of the field. Kyler Murray came up short. While the Cliff Kingsbury offense is certainly conducive to outstanding fantasy success, it does seem to wear down as the season progresses. And I do think that that is concerning too, particularly when you get into those fantasy playoffs and you want your guys performing at their best. That's why like, I agree that he is on the highest end of the quality starter tier. He will be in that top five quarterbacks. However, as far as set it and forget it, I might want to forget him some weeks. That there, I want to leave that possibility slightly open. That's fair, yeah. Again, I understand that point. Uh, I think for me, it's it's more so like, can you predict what week that is? And I have a, I, I just don't have enough confidence in myself to know what week Kyle Murray's not going to show up to play. So I think, you know, pending no injury, it's very difficult to put him in a potential forget it scenario. If he's got an injury, it's like, look, I get it totally. I think any quarterback of that caliber who's got an injury, you know, you can probably put a little doubt. But I think when he's fully healthy, it's, you know, he, he's he's all go for me. And I would hate to be the guy who like sat Kyle Murray in one of my, in one of my weeks and he. He just blows up and everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> Baseline, you think he's going to give you a good floor. And that's why he's yeah. always going to be a quality start in terms mm-hmm. of just the consistency rankings. Yes, Kyler Murray is going to be one of those guys that for the majority, I'm talking 99% of the games. Heck, yeah, maybe in 17 games. Well, 17 games because we have uh, additional games this year. So just throwing that out there. Yeah, that's as fair. just a friendly reminder to folks as we prepare for this fantasy football season. Okay, well, let's take a look at the rest of the quality starters list going downward. So I have Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, as mentioned. Lamar Jackson is also in that tier. Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, newcomer, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, and Ryan Tannehill. Now, are there any guys in this tier that you would either move down? No, I actually, I mean, I love the rest of this list. I think Dak Prescott is the only other guy that potentially could have been a set it and forget it had he not gotten hurt. But I can, I can understand uh, given the injury, you know, we're not quite sure how he's going to be thrown. Like he's already, you know, he already has shoulder issues, right. Coming off of uh, week one training camp practice. And I can only see that being like, he's overcompensating for maybe not trusting that back foot enough. We're not quite sure as to how he's going to perform, but again, a healthy Dak Prescott, man, he was on pace to break passing records left and right last season. It was, it was amazing to watch. So yeah, I mean, I, I love the rest of the, the rest of this list. I mean, Russell Wilson's a stud. Justin Herbert, I, I think he's going to throw the ball 5,000 times this year. Uh, Tom Brady will seemingly play until he's 50. Uh, Matt Stafford with those weapons with Cooper Cup and, and uh, Robert Woods, like no problem there. And then obviously Ryan Tannehill is on an absolutely loaded offense. So yeah, lo- lo- love this tier. This is a great tier. Okay, next tier down is going to be the matchup-based plays. So in this tier, starting off, I have Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow coming off the ACL injury, Matt Ryan, who's always been a model of consistency, Trevor Lawrence, Rookie, number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, two guys that I kind of consider about the same. Uh, Ryan Fitzmagic, new team, what's new? Uh, Derek Carr out there in Las Vegas has some sneaky upside from week to week, but uh, can you, you can't trust him to be in your lineup week after week. 
Cam Newton. Uh, this one's a tough one for me as only eight passing touchdowns last year. And then, of course, uh, has a rookie behind him in camp. Same goes for Jimmy Garoppolo, who I put in the matchup-based plays here. And then Ben Roethlisberger. Now, out of this tier, is there anyone that should go down? Is there anyone that should go up? Yeah, this is a tricky tier. The matched-up-based plays. So the guy that I feel most comfortable with actually is going to be actually I would, I would say two two of these guys is either going to be Matt Ryan for reasons that you know he's been a premier passer in the NFL he knows how to get it done and he still has good offensive weapons even with the departure of Julio Jones so Calvin Ridley expected to be a top five you know fantasy wide receiver this season I think Matt Ryan will, will do fine overall the other guy is Kirk Cousins so Kirk Cousins is a very sneaky good quarterback um, last season he finishes the quarterback 11 I believe a couple of seasons ago, he ends up finishing as another QB one finish. Like he has a, a several years of starts where he ends up finishing as an overall QB one. And so I just don't think he gets enough, you know, love in the ADP department every single season. There's always quarterbacks that you want to put above Kirk Cousins because he's not like a sexy quarterback, doesn't do it with a lot of flash. They're kind of a run first offense with Dalvin Cook. So, you know, you have kind of all of these factors and all of a sudden, you know, Kirk Cousins ADP is down to like, you know, mid level QB two, but he seemingly is always healthy. He just always gets it done. He's giving you about 20 points per game every single week. It's like, these are all good numbers to have. And then on top of that, I know with the departure of Stefan Diggs, we weren't sure what was going to happen, but lo and behold, he gets, you know, another top five wide receiver in uh, Justin Jefferson. So I think Kirk Cousins is borderline on that cusp of like quality starter material. Uh, if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, they use him in the passing game. I mean, he had like 16, I think, rushing touchdowns last year. So um, that helps open up the passing game. And then with Justin Jefferson expected to be a top five wide receiver, it's like, man, Kirk Cousins could do some damage this season. Well, there's definitely some guys in here too that I, I was debating on. Uh, you know, I, I might surprise people with this one, but I was floating Ben Roethlisberger as potentially a quality starter this year. And, yeah. you know, obviously he's had a depleted offensive line. That's one of the Steelers' main issues going into this year. But I just like the weapons around him. Yeah, you I know, agree. A Chase Claypool, a Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris. These are all quality pieces around the Steelers team. And going into training camp, he's looking a little skinny too. So he's got that diet rock. Slim Ben. He, Slim yeah. ben. <laughs> hey, Slim Ben, Skinny Ben, whatever you want to call him. But either way... It just turns out if you lay off the porn and the beer, sometimes, you know, some quality results happen for you. I was tempted to move him up. Same goes for Kirk Cousins. Again, people just kind of don't pay much attention to Kirk Cousins, but silently he's over there putting up 3,000 yards consistently, 30 touchdowns consistently. Um, as you mentioned, in the top 12 of quarterbacks, so essentially a tier one quarterback in that respect. And then Jalen Hurts, too, it just intrigued me. Jalen mm. Hurts has potential to get in that quality start tier just simply because of the upside of his rushing ability. Not much competition right now in the Philadelphia locker room, unless you're a Joe Flacco believer or a Nick Mullins truther. So the opportunity for Jalen Hurts to certainly uh, excel within this offense and certainly uh, excel within your fantasy lineup is there. And, and according to ADP, you have an opportunity to get him at a good value as well. That, that's kind of like my talk on the matchup base plays. Sleepers, it's going to be a lot of sophomore quarterbacks. It's going to be a lot of rookie quarterbacks here. But starting off the tier, we got Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Tua, Taysom Hill, Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston, and obviously Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston in the same tier right now. Sleepers, even though if we could get a quarterback named as the starter, 
by week three, I, I think that that starter instantly goes into well, potentially a quality start just based off Sean Payton in that offense. I, I think that they can work out something great for that quarterback, whoever it is. Uh, Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold. Oh, and the most important name on this list, Deshaun Watson, because we don't really mm. know what's going on with Deshaun at this point in time. Obviously, the lawsuits are still there. He still doesn't want to play for the Texans. Uh, a lot of negative clouds surrounding the Houston Texans locker room at this time so he's a sleeper right now because he's going as the 22nd quarterback off the board so you're getting him at a great value and we know how good Deshaun Watson is when he's on the field uh what do you think of this tier what do you think of some of these names on here who do you like out of it yeah so again assuming I'm going to exclude Deshaun Watson only because Without the controversy, we know that he's borderline a set it and forget it quality starter. He's somewhere in that mix. So um, we know, we I guess we know what to expect when Deshaun Watson is playing. Uh, but the other guys, I would agree with you that we don't actually know yet what they could become. Uh, one person I am very intrigued by who seemingly is really commanding the offense coming out of camp is Tua Tagovailoa. He is also getting similar to, I think, your outline of... Uh, ben Roethlisberger and the weapons over in Pittsburgh to us seemingly has some pretty good weapons now over in Miami for the record. Will Fuller was ranked was the number one wide receiver that had production premium, according to player profiler in all of the NFL last season. So basically what that means is that all things considered, he was the most productive wide receiver when you compare apples to apples across all possible wide receivers. So I say all that because Tua Tagovailoa now has a lot of pretty good weapons. And I think we're about to see like a pretty good um, sneaky Miami offense that we weren't expecting, which would in my eyes classify them as a sleeper, right? Because I don't think we're expecting them to do much, but they could. The other guy is my man, Daniel Jones. So if anybody who follows the Kamish podcast knows that we have been in a absolute quagmire between our team and we actually hosted a Kamish Debates episode that lasted about an hour between myself and Josh, who's our stats guy. And I went toe-to-toe with him on his stats lines versus my stats lines over Daniel Jones, whether or not he's going to be good this season because he quite literally was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. But my argument, and I still hold true to this, is that the overall weapons was mostly part of the reason why he was as ineffective as he was not because he was an ineffective quarterback. It was mostly because they, they quite literally were just terrible last year. They didn't perform very well. uh, And I made the point that the correlation between the offensive weapons and a quarterback's output is what would be considered a strong correlation. So in other words, when you give him better weapons, all of a sudden that quarterback becomes not just a viable fantasy starter, but um, a productive fantasy starter. And so when you add Kenny Galladay and then you add Saquon Barkley back to that mix, all of a sudden the production premiums for both of these two for the New York Giants ultimately increases their overall output, which you know we know will make Daniel Jones a much more viable starter. So I think he's going to be the best sleeper on this board. Um, I know it's a bit of a risky pick, but given the weapons, Kenny Galladay is Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley. I think you're going to see an improvement in the offensive line this season. You're going to have Sterling Shepard back in the slot, which is where Sterling Shepard belongs. And Darius Slayton, who I think was expecting to make a better jump last season, just isn't an alpha. But guess who is? Kenny Galladay. So when you have some of that separation, that offense should be a lot better. Evan Ingram won't have to actually take on the entire workload of the offense as he was 
probably expected to last season, which is probably why he made a lot of mistakes. Long story short, that team should be a lot better, all of which will help Daniel Jones next year. I'm a little bit nervous about Sam Darnold. The more and more I kind of see out of camp, he's not reading off uh, defenses very well still. I don't know what the issue is. We all thought that it was an Adam Gates problem. Yeah, I don't know. It could be a Sam Darnold problem. He might quite literally just be a broken quarterback. I don't know. Little did we know that there is ghosts around the field in Charlotte as well. Um, But, you know, I mean, definitely, I I think one of the more troubling stats when it comes to Sam Darnold is that his air yards per attempt was even lower than Teddy Bridgewater's. And Mm -hmm. yet the Panthers are pursuing him as if he's an automatic upgrade. And that's not a guarantee. But, you know, one of the interesting discussions is going to be happening, and this is not necessarily for this podcast, but obviously DJ Moore versus Robbie Anderson. Now, yep. going back to Tua versus Daniel Jones, though, mm. um, in that particular respect, in that particular tier, if I was to put my belief behind one of them, it would be Tua just in the sense that I believe he is for sure the Miami Dolphins starter um, from start to finish as long as he doesn't just absolutely fall off the cliff here. Yeah, because it would have, uh, to, be inj- it would have to be injury related, I think. Yes, because Jacoby Brissett's the only one that's behind him in that locker room. So we don't have to deal with that whole Brian Flores, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua pulling in for the closer type thing that was going on last year. That's mm-hmm. not exactly what Jacoby Brissett is built there to do. So yes, with the upgraded weapons, two has an opportunity to improve. Now I am just in concern and I know it's a part of, it could have been the offensive scheme. It could have been just a rookie thing. It could have just been learning the playbook, but watching Tua last year, just watching the games, there wasn't a lot of excitement. There wasn't that. Uh, yeah, I agree. There wasn't I that agree. it factor. And yeah. I, I think that that's what kind of, we talked about mentioning Sam Darnold. We haven't seen that it factor too much. I didn't yep. see that at all from Tua. Even in his, some of his better games, like against the Cardinals last year, just yeah. what was that flash? It really wasn't there. So that concerns me. As far as Daniel Jones, surprisingly, I will say I have seen that it from time to time. Yeah. Shout, out, shout out to Vanilla Vic because, you know, every now and then he'll bust one. He's got the legs. He's got the stamina. He's got the athleticism. But he does have that fumbling problem. He does yes. have that turnover problem. So if there is a game in which he has four or five turnovers, uh, obviously the not, a Giants coaching staff has to be looking at him and giving him that evil eye. So there is partially that concern that he might get pulled at one point for his yeah. own errors. And that is why I think he's the riskiest of the two plays here because uh, there, not that there's particularly a great challenger in that locker room, but if he is just killing the team like that, Similar to a Jameis Winston, if you're the Giants coaching staff, you just got to send a message to your team and saying this is unacceptable. And uh, I think that that's potentially what could happen to him if he just has one of those games where he just can't hold on to the thing, where he had too much popcorn and the ball just keeps falling out. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Actually, that was one of Josh's points is that Mike Lennon is going to be the guy who comes in and take over Daniel Jones's spot. So uh, yeah, it's very possible. Um, my whole thing is that if they're playing that badly and that poorly and Daniel Jones is part of the reason, um, you might as well just keep him in and just go for the number one pick overall in my eyes. But um, at that point, Daniel Jones will be dead to me. So that's how that works. <laughs> um, okay. And then the journeyman here, I mean, starting off with the, the headliner here, uh, Carson Wentz, because there might be some people that just pick him up as a speculative play again. I mean, maybe he'll be healthy at some point during the season, but when he comes back, you're not really going to want to play him. Jared Goff. I just couldn't see like too many like productive fantasy performances. Um, and this isn't just because his head coach is out there eating kneecaps, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, about the same guy, Denver offense. There's pieces. I want parts of it, but I don't know who's that guy there. 
Eddie Dalton probably won't make it out of training camp, probably won't make it out of the preseason. I know that Matt Nagy is being stubborn on this one, but I just have that inner belief that this is just not going to happen for him. This is not going to be his day for the Red Rocket. And then Tyrod. I feel bad for Tyrod because regardless of what happens with Deshaun Watson, he is poised to once again have his job stolen by a rookie quarterback as Davis Mills is in that locker room. And if Deshaun Watson is not under center, I could see Davis Mills having a lot of playing time this year. Yeah, I think from a fantasy perspective, I think the only guy to me is clearly Jared Goff because there's not there's not going to be much competition, obviously, from a perspective from you know playing in Detroit at this point. Uh, yeah, so the other guys are, I mean, their their jobs are just not secure. Drew Locke has Teddy Bridgewater right behind him. Manny Dalton is three starts away from Justin Fields taking over for the rest of the year. Carson Wentz obviously being hurt. Tyra Taylor, as you mentioned, like all these you know fantasy journeymen have no pedigree of security, whereas Jared Goff does. So he's the only other player that I think is worth a stash. Quintez Cephas is like the wide receiver one, I suppose, at this point with no Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. And other than that, TJ Hawkins is the only other guy that's worth drafting outside of uh, DeAndre Swift naturally. And of course, if you need a couple of Vernon back stashes, you can get, you know, grab Williams. They, they haven't yeah. done much to even surround Goff with talent out there. Right. Uh, you'd have to think they believe somewhat in him, obviously, to acquire his contract and uh, roll with him, not try and pick up anyone during the draft as well. But just the wide receiver talent's not lacking. Yeah, it, it, it was, was kind of a no-brainer. with Penny. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of a no-brainer trade in my eyes for them because, you know, they, they obviously lost two of their starting weapons um, on the outside. Like, they, they're in pure rebuilding mode. So it's like, you know, we can take Jared Goff, who's a, who's a formidable quarterback. Like, he's been to the Super Bowl. Like, he knows how to lead a team and, you know, get playoff wins, albeit, you know, the Saints probably should have won that game, but that's besides the point. Um, you get the point, though, right? It's like, he's been he's been into some high-powered uh, games. You know, he had that, like, wasn't it that one game where, they, where they, like, they scored, like, 50,000 points against uh, uh, KC or something, like, way back when? Like, they went shot for shot with KC. Like, he's a good quarterback. He's just not a great quarterback, and they're just, like, I think Detroit just pretty much figured out like the like Matt Stafford just ain't getting it done here. So like let's rebuild with a younger quarterback. They got two first draft two first round draft picks out of that as well. So it's like might as well go for it, you know. I'm so intrigued to see how that trade breaks down between Jared mm-hmm. Goff, Matthew Stafford. Obviously, I put Matthew Stafford in the quality starters tier for this one. Um, but there is going to be a lot of pressure on him. But yeah. if Sean McVay hits it right, I, I could see Matthew Stafford being the type of guy that becomes set in and forget it as well. There's going to be a yeah. lot of open guys. Uh, more than he's ever seen in his career. So if he can just hit him, uh, Matthew yep. Stafford is going to be looking like a great fantasy play this year. All right, Slump Busters. Well, we made it past the quarterback rankings, quarterback tiers here. Uh, we talked Carson Wentz, but it's that time of year again when we break down division by division. We like to go by the tried and true, never eat shredded wheat. That means North, East, South, West. So starting first with the AFC North. Or we also like to start from the bottom here. Start from the trash heap that was the Cincinnati Bengals last year, uh, mostly by virtue of their quarterback, their young, exciting quarterback, Joe Burrow, going down with that ACL injury. Now, I am of the belief, I will say that for all the offensive line game panned, the knee injury itself was not necessarily on them. It doesn't help. Of course, Joe Burrow was constantly pressured last year, but of course, uh, you know, injuries do happen. And I, I do think that necessarily just bending the wrong way it it could happen to anyone regardless of who your offensive linemen are uh so last year they finished four eleven and one this year i have them finishing seven and ten your thoughts 
Yeah, it's pretty close. I have them finishing at six and 11. So I think we're right around the same ballpark. They're on their way to becoming a good offensive team. They're an offensive line short of becoming uh, a good offensive team, in my opinion. That's going to be their biggest downfall. The other issue is obviously they're in a pretty tough division. So I just think that this is going to be too much for them long-term over the course of the season. And then obviously there's the possibility that, you know, Burrow doesn't make it through half the season. So um, very difficult to say. Um, As far as just like the Bengals opportunity here within this conference to succeed, um, like you mentioned, I I do think it is through their offense. Uh, Zach Taylor, he doesn't seem long for this league as he goes into his third year. Obviously, to really succeed in a place like Cincinnati, you have to have pelts on the wall, and Zach Taylor doesn't have many of them. In fact, with two subpar seasons going into the season, it looks very much likely that uh, should they not finish above 500, which is going to be a little bit more difficult given the uh, added game, currently 7-10, and 10, looks a lot uglier than 7-9 and nine with those three games under 500 there. I, I do think that this is Zach Taylor's unfortunate last year. Now, coming at it from the fantasy perspective, because of course, this is the fantasy football podcast, the Slump Buster Fantasy Football Podcast. There are some players of note, of course, Jamar Chase, uh, the big rookie draft signing this year, joins T. Higgins in that locker room. And T. Higgins had a very good year. And then Tyler Boyd, who's always just been a consistent fantasy performer, particularly if you're in a PPR league and always a must have. And then Joe Burrow before the injury, he was looking great. He was fun to watch. He was someone that you wanted in your lineup. I wanted him in my lineup, but it was not meant to be. Who out of these guys is really going to command that wide receiving core? Because that that's, I think, is the big story of this team. Yeah, I agree with you. So, so I think I think this is kind of like where the uh, where things sort of part, if you will. Um, th- there's the who's going to be the most productive, but then who's going to be the most or, or the biggest value pick from a fantasy perspective. So if you go and look at PFF rankings, um, PFF actually has T Higgins projected as the wide receiver 13 this year. That's really high. Fantasy Pros has T Higgins projected as the wide receiver 24. In both instances, they have him like severely projected well ahead of. Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. So because of that, I actually think Jamar Chase is going to likely be the bigger value because I just don't see T Higgins ultimately commanding that much of the opportunity load from Joe Burrow. So to me, I think T Higgins will probably out target share or out dominate Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, but I don't think he's going to ultimately produce that upside, especially the PFF rank at wide receiver 13. I think it's just way too high in my opinion. But the other thing that's really interesting is that depending on, again, what rankings you sort of look at, um, most rankings have all three players inside of the top 36, which means that somewhere, whoever's doing these rankings or the collective ECR, people think that Joe Burrow is going to sustain at least three wide receiver threes. That's a lot. I don't know if it's going to happen, especially if people think that Joe Mixon's going to now get more of this workload in the, in the, not just the, the running game, but the passing game. So I just don't know that they're that great of an offense, given that they're still, I mean, they finished last season 21st in run blocking and then 27th in pass blocking. Like they obviously opted to not improve their offensive line. I don't know where the improvements are going to come from. So I think they're going to be off the field faster than they're able to sustain this type of volume that people think that they're going to have. So while they're good, I just don't think that they're going to be that good yet. Like they're on their way. There is not that complete. Think about the offenses that we have seen that have been able to sustain three wide receivers at that pace. Uh, You hearken back to the Rams, which that is where Zach Taylor came from. That is where Zach Taylor's football lineage uh, resides with the three wide receiver sets that the Rams were rolling out during their Super Bowl year. Now, 
three very talented guys um, and how they compare to Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods, and Brandon Cooks, I, I think there is uh, some comparables. Now, it, I guess it just comes down to, do you think that Joe Burrow can be at that Jared Goff year, uh, have that same kind of, uh, what am I looking for? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. Yeah, output. Yeah, well, because I think the thing is, is in the end, it's like, it's definitely possible. But do I think that you're going to sustain three wide receivers above 36 finishes and also one of them like verging on a wide receiver one? It's very difficult to do that. So yeah, the odds are against him. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then the other big fantasy performer on this team, of course, is Joe Mixon, which is a controversial person in the fantasy community, uh, mostly because he still is getting drafted within the first couple rounds. And Joe Mixon certainly does have that type of upside week to week. However, he does tend to be on the sidelines more often than he's on the field. And that is one of the big things. However, uh, with that said, you can't predict injury. It's tough. You just have to believe in the talent. And certainly Joe Mixon does have the talent, but uh, this is, again, where that weaker offensive line does come into play and hurt his value. With the added weapons, do you think this makes Joe Mixon certainly a more enticing fantasy play this year? Yeah, so I've notoriously been a very anti-Joe Mixon human being uh, for the past two to three years. And so far, I have been right all two to three years. Now that, well, I shouldn't say right in a sense. Like he's had decent years. Like he's rushed for over 1,100 yards. But the problem is, is that he never finishes quite where people expect him to finish. And we're looking for that top five running back breakout. And it just doesn't seem to come. I will say of all the years that he's meant to perform well, this would be the year. And I think a lot of his knock has been that he's not been performing on third downs. Like they take him out of the game on third downs and Gio Bernard is in the game. Now there's no Gio Bernard and they expect Joe Mixon to be the, either the pass blocker running back and sort of the chip and run and get that dump off pass to accumulate some of those PPR points and, or like the goal, like the true goal line back all the time. So if the workload is there and the volume is there, he can do it. He is talented enough, but it's, will they do it? Because every year we expect him to have that workload and every year he just doesn't have that workload. So your guess is as good as mine. I still don't feel good about it. I am going to avoid Joe Mixon. I don't really care if he ends up becoming a top five fantasy performer. I've had the headache once. I drafted him one time. He's an absolute nightmare if he doesn't perform well. He's quite literally your biggest nightmare on your team. So I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to find someone else who I like around that value and I'll go with that person instead. Sometimes it's not always about the talent sometimes it just like who's going to cause you the most headache week to week and I definitely do think that that is someone like Joe Mixon when you constantly see that cue next to his name as well all right moving gears shifting to the next team in the division last year's third place finisher the Browns who finished 11 and 5 last year had a big time win against their division foe the Pittsburgh Steelers and then had a heartbreaking loss to the Kansas City Chiefs now a lot of people are talking about this team as a potential Super Bowl team They've made some big additions. They went out there. They got to Davion Clowney. They got Josh Johnson, the safety from the Rams. But will the Browns take that next step? According to my predictor, according to my schedule maker, they will not. In fact, they will take a step back. Wow. They will go eight and nine this year. And mm. I, I know that's going to be a bold one for a lot of people here, but I guess what it really came down for me when I'm going through the schedule, I'm picking these games. I just think that there is a potential for Baker Mayfield to not necessarily live up to expectations here. And it's going to be a shame, obviously, as he pursues his next contract outside of his rookie deal. But um, I guess I haven't fully bought into his ability to sustain what we saw last year and then added to being in one of the toughest divisions in football. 
uh, between the Steelers, Ravens, and an improved Bengals team. I could see this team taking a few more L's, and certainly whenever they've gotten really high on themselves, all of the Freddie Kitchens year, uh, they tend to come crashing back down to earth. Um, and I think that's a maturity thing, especially with Baker. Yeah, so I have them actually finishing at 11 and 6. We'll get into Pittsburgh, but I have them tied with Pittsburgh. A couple of things about Cleveland that I appreciated, especially towards the end of the year. I, I mean, their playoff run was heartbreaking. Like, they should have won that game. I think it came down to like a penalty or something in the end zone. It's like they should have had that touchdown, in my opinion. I think they're going to continue to ride off of that momentum this year. I think that they're well suited to have another great year. So, according to PFF, they were actually number three in overall offense last season at 87.8. The problem was that they were number 20 in defense, which you would expect them to be a lot higher given some of the performance that they have on their team. They just didn't put it together on defense, but you're right. They added Jadavion Clowney and they added a couple of additional pieces. So I actually think their defense is going to improve while their offense actually stays at their current sort of productive level. And I say that because it's going to be led by their run game. So I know that there's concern for Baker Mayfield. He finished last season in fantasy as a QB 17, but that offense more so specifically led by the running game is deadly. Last season, they were third in overall offense, as I mentioned, but they were first in run blocking and first in, in pass blocking. So that combination, that offensive line mixed with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I just don't see them having trouble controlling football games. And as long as they keep these games close, I actually think they're going to be the team that finishes games this year. So now what that does is it does open up and it takes the pressure off of Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's going to be a great fantasy option. Like last season, I think he finished again, as I mentioned, as a QB 17. His points per game were he was QB 23. It's not like, I don't actually see that improving all that much, but Nick Chubb is going to be deadly. Cream Hunt is going to be deadly. Jarvis Landry, I think is going to be deadly. He has an ADP right now of seventh or eighth round. He's wide receiver 38 off the board, 87th overall. The last couple of years, like he's finished well into the wide receiver one category or wide receiver two. So in 2019, he actually finished as wide receiver 12. It was his uh, pro bowl season. And then in 2018, he finishes a wide receiver 18. So he's someone I think you're going to get a massive discount because most teams are going to be playing run first stop the run which is in my opinion going to leave Jarvis Landry wide open and when Baker Mayfield does have a nice flush pocket he makes throws and I don't think he's going to feel obligated to throw to OBJ this year he's going to make the best of his opportunities again not going to be high volume for a quarterback but will be enough for Jarvis Landry in my opinion I'm a little bit on the opposite end of you uh, for Cleveland assuming that their defense improves but I think they control most games and in this season they're going to close them I don't think anyone should really be surprised by my take. I, after all, I am a guy named Juju and I'm saying the Browns are the Browns and that's just the way it is. So, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but as far as fantasy goes, shifting gears here, I, I think one of the more interesting stories, of course, is that Browns run game. They just gave Nick Chubb a brand new three-year deal. Uh, so you ha I have to assume that he's definitely going to be the lead back for that team. But they do have two very talented backs, obviously. Kareem Hunt is no slouch by his own right. So where should people really be targeting Kareem Hunt? Should they even be targeting Kareem Hunt? Because the guy lands in the end zone plenty of times. He is a guy, good guy on third down for them. So it, it's just a hard value to really pin down. Um, I, I yeah. don't know. No, it, it is very difficult. Um, again, th they're a two-headed monster in a sense. Nick Chubb is going to get enough volume on the rushing side to give you, you know, maybe 12, 1300 yards on the ground, but then Cream Hunt will give you another seven to 800 yards on the ground. They're a run first offense and that's what you should expect. Cream Hunt also is a deadly a uh, weapon with in the passing game and everybody knows this. So I think the thing is, is like, they're the two best weapons that team has. 
outside of a healthy OBJ, but he's just, I don't think anyone can trust OBJ to stay healthy. So they're not going to fight who they definitely are. Like they're a team that has their identity locked in. They're not going to fight it. They're going to ground and pound. And when the opportunity arises, Kareem Hunt will get the ball in the air. Nick Chubb will get the ball on the ground and they'll get plenty of touchdowns between the two of them. But Nick Chubb is the lead back. So I think both of them are value this year. I have not been someone who's been too high on Nick Chubb in the past, but this season, I certainly like him. Well, this is one that really will test the trust issues, but OBJ, obviously there's a lot of people that have those vivid memories of 2014, him coming down with that one-handed touchdown grab. But in the years that have followed, it's been a mixed bag and it's mostly been because of injuries, but it's hard to really trust drafting OBJ at any real value. You you question, first of all, if he's going to be on the field and second of all, how the Browns will utilize him coming off the ACL injury because when they've tried to force feed in the ball the most is when that offense has looked the worst. Yeah, I agree with you. I am very much out on OBJ this year. I don't, I don't really want to have to deal with that. I mean, if he ends up having a great season, good and mazel tov to everybody who drafts him um, where he's currently being ranked, but at wide receiver 27, like I would rather wait. I'd rather grab Robbie Anderson. I'd rather grab Chase Claypool, who I'm sure we'll talk about. I'd even rather grab guys like Debo Samuel and Brandon Cooks, even Will Fuller at wide receiver 37. Like there were just guys that I'd much rather prefer to have than, than OBJ at this point. Yeah, I, I'm just, I just don't have the appetite for it. And I had Baker, obviously, in the matchup-based tier earlier in this conversation. Do you think that there's any opportunity for Baker to uh, live above his station, so to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, he, you know, he finished, finished his last year at QB 17 and didn't have a great year. I think he has a much better season. Like I think the pressure is off of him this year. And for some reason that team just seems to be again, under, under Stefanski just seems to be in heading in the right direction. Once they dropped Freddie kitchens and they got Stefanski under there, like, like, you know, as head coach, like that team just seems to be heading in the right direction. They had a great playoff run, heartbreaking, and uh, I think they're out for vengeance. Like, I know that they're in a tough division, but man, I don't know. This team seems like they have everything kind of falling into place, which I think will translate into nice fantasy options. So Baker Mayfield, again, I'm not going out of my way to get him, um, but I think if you get him at his ADP, he could return some value for you. Any closing thoughts on the Browns? Yeah, I'm excited to watch him this year. I think, you know, we talk about some spark, you know, not seeing it in Tua, maybe seeing flashes from Daniel Jones. I actually am very interested in how the Cleveland Browns look next year. I don't think they're going to be sparky in a sense or flashy because they are going to run the shit out of the ball, which is not the best, you know, the best type of football to watch from like an exciting standpoint. But man, they're going to ground and pound like old school football style. So it'll be interesting to watch. Sometimes you just like to see a team that just goes out there and punches people in the mouth. Yeah, and that's definitely has personified the next team mm -hmm. on this list. The Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers finished last season 11 and five. Obviously their season came down to that game against the Browns when they got absolutely clocked, uh, cut rock. It was a hard watch. Uh, I mean, it was a great watch if you're from the Cleveland area code and have just seen the Steelers just ruin your season time after time after time. But uh, for the Steelers, uh, they had that, what, 11 and 0 start last year, if I'm not mistaken. 11 and 0 and then it all came crashing back down to earth. I, I think one of the biggest reasons for that, no running game at all. Well, guess what? This year we're going to go pick up Najee Harris. We're going to fix that running game. We're also going to take away the offensive line. So that's another story following them. But the grand scheme of things, the sum of all these parts, I have the Steelers finishing nine and eight. Mike Tomlin, congratulations. You go another year with your record above 500. And that is, I think, one of the most impressive coaching stats out there.
Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I, I, I do have them performing a bit better. Uh, I do have them at 11 and six. So they finish 11, five. I think they're going to rack up one more loss this year. But to me, when I see the Pittsburgh Steelers, they kind of just seem like sort of the same team, but with a running with a better running back. So last season, they finished overall PFF grade um, number 28 in overall offense, which you'd think that they would have you know finished better considering their record, but they were pretty dismal on offense. They were very lackluster, I think, in a lot of ways, but they were number two in defense. And they are pretty much bringing back more or less the same defense. So again, this division is very defensive heavy in a sense where I think these defenses are going to beat each other up, but Pittsburgh's offense should get better. The thing that you mentioned um, about Ben Roethlisberger and wanting to move him up in terms of his tiers, the one thing about a guy like Ben Roethlisberger is he's played so many seasons that if you just extrapolate all of his numbers, you'll get a pretty decent sense for what kind of season he's going to have. And that's pretty much like what he had last year. So, you know, when it comes to ranking guys like Deontay Johnson, Juju and Chase Claypool, like Deontay Johnson had 144 targets. Juju had 128 and, and Claypool had 109 as a rookie. So I don't see like anything really changing from like an offensive production standpoint. Like they were ninth in air yards, number three in deep targets. Uh, like overall, like the team was like barely good on offense, but like they just couldn't put it together on the run game, which is why they ultimately kind of, to your point, didn't perform very well. So yeah, um, I just don't think they're going to change very much. Like they seem like a very static team. Like I don't think they had that many improvements other than drafting Najee Harris, which, which will be enough to like get them back to an 11 win season. Yeah. And then too, you also have to consider losses on the defensive side. They did lose Bud to Bree, which I, I do think is a loss that will hurt them. Devin Bush coming back off a major knee injury as well. So both those are going to be stories to fall on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to the Steelers. Going to the fantasy angle of things. So certainly we mentioned that there are three wide receivers in that locker room, all vying for targets. It is one of those volume-based plays. How much opportunity these guys have is enough to sustain the value of them. We talked about, could the Bengals offense have three wide receivers, all fantasy relevant? For the Steelers, it's very possible given what the numbers were last year. And I think the added threat of having uh, Najee Harris actually is a good thing for the team as, as um, these guys look for their opportunity to shine this year in fantasy. Yeah, I agree with you. Like it all comes down to volume and this team has historically had a relatively good offense. It's kind of high powered and um, really north to south, um, obviously led by at the time Antonio Brown and, you know, Le'Veon Bell. Now they have Najee Harris in there, but they still have some studs with, you know, Juju and Claypool and Deontay Johnson. I know he had a bit of a dropsy situation last year, but I think those, those are very easily corrected. Like the team last year was 12th in plays run. They led the entire NFL in pass attempts. They were seventh in passing touchdowns. Like I just think overall, like they're going to continue to have like, they're, they're going to continue to be in the upper half of most passing type um, statistics. And obviously the three Johnson, Juju and Claypool are going to be the beneficiaries of that type of work. So yeah, I don't think that's going to end up changing all that much. Again, I just don't see this team changing all that much. I think they're going to continue to be the Pittsburgh Steelers that we're used to watching and they're in a tough division. So they'll definitely rack up some, some losses, but for the most part, they'll beat up on easy teams like they did last season. And is Najee going to be the number one running back um, out of this rookie class, do you think? Uh, obviously, there's been some names that have been kind of floated around. Uh, that, And every now and then, we do see some guy from the third round or later come out and just kind of steal the crown from the uh, number one overall drafted rookie running back. But this is the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is why they drafted him, right? You would figure they're going to give this guy opportunity. Najee Harris, do you believe in his current value in ADP? 
Yeah, I mean, again, uh, a lot of times a good friend of ours on another podcast, Guy Guasco over the TCK podcast, he always has kind of this saying like, you know, I like the player and I hate the environment or I hate the environment. And I like the player. I think Najee Harris is like, I like the player and I love the environment. It's like we we've seen an RB1 come out of this type of offense in Le'Veon Bell and Najee Harris. I don't think he'll be the overall uh, running back one, just given the amount of talent. Uh, you know, inside of the top 10 for running backs. Um, but he can definitely crack top 10 with that type of work. I mean, if he gets a lot of the passing volume that Le'Veon used to see, he gets all the goal line work that we're kind of used to seeing, um, you know, a top tier uh, running back get. Like, there's no question that um, he can make an absolute, you know, mark this year. The the environment's there for him. Uh, that moves us to the final team in this division. The Baltimore Ravens last year finished 12 and four. Finally, I uh, got the monkey out their back and uh, Lamar Jackson got that first playoff victory against the Tennessee Titans and then quickly got squashed by the Buffalo Bills the following week. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, just one of the more consistent teams in football. And ever since Lamar Jackson has entered that offense, uh, he's been a godsend for John Harbaugh and that team this year. I have them improving by one game. I have them winning the division, going 13 and four. And uh, uh, they also added a weapon for Lamar Jackson, obviously getting Rashad Bateman there in the first round. So they're trying to build pieces. They're trying to make this a more passer-friendly offense. Uh, Is this going to be conducive to their success in the AFC North playoff picture? What do you think? Yep, I, I agree here. Uh, I'm not too far off. I actually have them also winning the division and uh, with a record of 12 and five. Um, so one less victory. Again, I just think this this division is quite difficult. Um, but that being said, like I think that they're going to kind of return to form that we saw in 2019. Um, they definitely had some challenges last year that uh, I think are going to ultimately be fixed. A lot of it coming down to their offensive line. So obviously you can tell I'm a big proponent for offensive line work. So in 2019, they were third in run blocking in first and pass blocking, which I think ultimately led to a lot of the success for Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, who I'll get into in just another second. Last season, uh, they didn't quite have that type of success. They were 10th in pass blocking and 14th in run blocking. I think they have a positive regression here towards back to what they used to be like in 2019. And so what you're going to end up finding is much healthier protection for Lamar Jackson, giving them more options. I think you're going to see a step up from Marquise Brown. As you mentioned, Rashad Bateman, they add Sammy Watkins, who's good for like two games in the beginning of the year. He just balls out in the first two games and you don't hear from him the rest of the year, but those two games could be relevant. And then again, on the passing side, like that offense runs through Mark Andrews from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think they're going to be good. And again, their defense is you know, top notch, top quality, but the guy that I think will have a great season. I know a lot of people are fading him is JK Dobbins. We need to stop fading this man. The commish team has him ranked at RB 19, which I think is insane. I think he's much better than that. But with that being said, I understand some of the pods for concern with Gus Edwards from a fantasy perspective, but from an NFL perspective, it's like, they're both going to be good. And in my opinion, I think you're going to see JK Dobbins look much more like a marking room when he finished in 2019 as the overall RB eight, that team is going to be solid so you're saying there's an opportunity for two fantasy relevant running backs in baltimore this year yeah if you're gonna have them it's gonna be one's gonna be like an like an rb24 so he'll be kind of a back end running back two that's gus edwards i think jk dobbins finishes closer to an rb1 he'll return value um if you draft him at an rb19 hey Tickets all aboard for the Gus bus this year. Uh, that's what yeah, I'm everyone right likes now. it. Yeah, <laughs> everyone likes the Gus bus. Okay, well, uh, when it comes to the Ravens, though, you always have to talk about yes, can Lamar Jackson take that next step in the passing game? Of course, again, mentioning 
their ability to go out there and get Rashad Bateman is a huge addition for this team. Um, but what does that do for the weapons around him? Because uh, Devin DuVernay obviously was expected to take a role. Miles Boykin expected to take a role. And then, of course, Hollywood Brown. Is there enough volume in this offense for these guys to eat? Or is it just strictly going to be run game Mark Andrews? Yeah, I think it's more of the same. Although I do think that the option to have a Rashad Bateman on the other side who can make catches, uh, assuming he can make catches, will obviously assist the passing work. So you add Sammy Watkins, who I still think is pretty good. And then I think, man, I real, I'm waiting for Marquise Brown to like break out and like stay Hollywood Brown, just stay Hollywood Brown. Don't show up as Hollywood Brown one week and then disappear to Marquise Brown the next week. Like you need to stay at Marquise Brown. I mean, Hollywood Brown level. It's very possible, but it's a run first offense. Um, They're not going to slow down any of Lamar Jackson's run work. Uh, And then, yeah, you're right. It does. It really does flow through Mark Andrews from a passing perspective, but the compliments of Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman will help this. Now, Lamar Jackson, we kind of touched on him a little bit earlier when we were talking quarterbacks, currently having the quality starter field. But can he return to form back to where he was the previous year, this MVP year when he was a set in forget a guy weekly? Because uh, there was just some down weeks last year. I don't know what that predictor may be, but he just was slightly off. Do you think it, it's just, it just comes down to as simple as the added additions to the passing game, add him a tier, basically? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, it's really difficult to do what they did in 2019 again, um, but they, I mean, they weren't too far off. Lamar Jackson's completion percentage also kind of went down by two percentage points. Um, I do think that this increases. I mean, if he can get back up to like a 66 to 67% completion percentage over the course of the, uh, of the season, this is going to ultimately help his run game. And I think that that's what you want to see, right? If he can figure out how to get his accuracy up even further yeah it's gonna be he's gonna be a dangerous quarterback like so you'll, you'll if you get him you know back into the first round in a super flex or early second round um depending on what type of league you're in i mean lamar jackson's gonna return value in my opinion mark andrews worthy of that top five round draft pick uh top like a tight end top tight end yeah last year people were taking him around the fifth sixth round if i'm not mistaken so this year um, is he still worthy of that value? Uh, because I, I think a lot of people would say they were a little bit disappointed with the season last year. Yeah, it was a bit of a down year. Again, I think the whole offense had a bit of a down year, especially after the year that they had just had. So there, you know, there's much more of a regression there. Uh, but I do think he prefer or he returns back to form. You know, last year, I think he had a PFF grade of 81.8, which is fourth highest among tight ends. But in 2019, you know, he sported a 90.8. PFF grade and had a number one total touchdowns rating within 10 for tight end. So like, I think you're going to see much more of that in 2021 there. I think Mark Andrews gets back to form. I wouldn't say he's, I don't think he's going to cha- challenge Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, but he could end up as the overall tight end four. All right, Slumpusters, that does it for our breakdown of the AFC North. So once again, I got to thank the commission here. I got to thank Chris Benavides for coming on to the podcast today. You know, uh, like I said, it's been a long time coming, my friend. Uh, What are some stuff you're working on? What can people expect from you next? Uh, Where can people follow the commission? All the shameless plugs uh, to fill the podcast obligation here. (laughs) 
No, I appreciate it, man. And thank you for having us on. It's always nice to do collabs with other podcasts and just kind of get out there and, you know, talk to different listeners that, um, you know, support you all and just support the fantasy community in general. Obviously, you know, we kind of work behind the scenes. We all have day jobs and we're all kind of grinding as this like little hobby of ours. And we try to expand and, you know, provide value to everybody. So again, certainly appreciate everyone's support. So on the commission side, so we're actually going to be at the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio in two weeks. So we actually have a booth. We have a 10 by 10. Um, so if you happen to live in the Ohio area and you want to join us over in Canton, Ohio, the Doubletree Hotel uh, is the Fantasy Football Expo. So it's the weekend of August 13th. Uh, I believe it's August 16th. Is that uh, sorry, August 15th is the Friday. That's the day of the expo. So that's going to be really fun uh, just to sort of meet everyone in person and really meet the fantasy community and kind of just put some names to faces and faces to brands and, um, you know, kind of just get out there and just, you know, again, just see everybody and just talk. So that'll be, that'll be really great. From a fantasy perspective during the season, um, we are, we have, we have what's called the playbook and it's our weekly email that comes out every Tuesday. It kind of recaps and breaks down all of the things that you might've missed from the previous fantasy week and then what to expect in the upcoming week, you know, the day after Monday Night Football. So if you go to the commishbrand.com, you can sign up for the playbook uh, and we will add you to the list. Um, we have a huge growing subscription base at this point. So, you know, of course, implore everyone to join up, sign up, and we'll get you that playbook, you know, every Tuesday. All right, Slump Busters, you know what to do. Go ahead and check out the commish at all the social medias, check out the playbook. And if you're in the Canon, Ohio area code, definitely drop on by, check out what these guys are up to. That's really impressive. That's really cool, man. I'm really proud and happy for you guys. Uh, keep crushing it, brother. We want to have you back on the pod as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but speaking of things you could be doing right now, you could be hitting that subscribe button, guys. Check it out right now as we close in on obviously 2,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. We appreciate you guys. But you know, it doesn't stop there. We have a five-star review if you're listening to this on iTunes. Check out our partner, KateManCopyCo.com. Come on, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and save yourself some money on your next delicious purchase of cold brew coffee from KateManCopyCo.com. Guys, I need to stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you next time.